Live from WNUR News, I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. Tonight, the North-South Campus Debate and Divide, redefining the season of giving, and how an experiment is taking over Northwestern social media. Those stories and more coming up tonight. Thanks for tuning in to WNUR News. From early morning parades to awkward dinner conversations, Thanksgiving is a special time for college students. I sat down with Northwestern students to discuss their holiday plans and how a pandemic has redefined the season of giving. Between family recipes and dinner conversations that lay out your entire life's decisions, Thanksgiving looks a bit different for every college student. However, one thing is certain, traveling is not the most pleasant part of the journey. AAA predicts more than 53.4 million people are expected to travel this year alone, the highest single year increase since 2005. And as the world returns to its new normal, Weinberg sophomore Victoria Tran decided to stick around in Evanston. So me going back home, I live in Southern California and a ticket for that one way is already up to in in like usual times. Like when I first got here, when I moved in, it was about say $150 and now tickets are double that price and even more. So anywhere ranging from like 300 to 700, which is just not in my budget even remotely. Although the pandemic offered lower fares, Demand, staff, and fuel shortages are ramping up, making it a costly return home, such as the case for Medill Jr., Helen Bradshaw. Yeah, I would say most years it's like $400 round trip, which is like very expensive as is. But because we can't leave until like after classes on Wednesday, or at least I can't, it's a really popular time for people going to visit their families, I think. And the tickets for a trip are like $1,000. It's crazy. I've never had to buy a plane ticket that expensive before. So yeah, I definitely questioned like, should I even go? Because it's like just exorbitant and much more than it is on a regular day. This year, airlines such as Southwest, Spirit, and American have all had operational meltdowns that forced them to delay and cancel thousands of flights. On top of all that, travelers should expect long TSA lines as workers face a November 22nd deadline for being fully vaccinated. However, flying isn't the only option. And for Medill senior Jacob O'Hara, Thanksgiving plans have always looked different. This year, I'm not going home for Thanksgiving because, mm-hmm. well, usually I don't go home for Thanksgiving because I'm from California and it's a very far flight for just like a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to drive up to Sturgeon, Wisconsin, and I got an Airbnb with three of my friends, and we're just going to cook and hang out and relax. But planning is always the hard part. Don't get me started on the planning time. This thing, as anyone who tries to plan a trip with their friends would tell you, was a real mess to put together. We only finally locked down our Airbnb last night. We started planning this like probably a month and a half ago, but... It was like, we don't know, we're going to try and find more people to come with us. Everyone wanted like different price points. Things started selling out. This is like our third option because Airbnbs just kept getting sold. With 58.9% of the United States population fully vaccinated, COVID precautions are still recommended. And for Weinberg sophomore Adrian Hoffer, the impact of a pandemic is still apparent. Seeing that the pandemic has affected us in the last year and now we're back to in-person classes, finally at Northwestern, how has Thanksgiving changed for you? Um, Well, last year it was kind of like 
it never felt like I was really having a full Thanksgiving because there was no transition from like school back to home. It was just all at home. So it just felt like kind of another dinner. But now it's like more special because you can like go home and, you know, actually make it feel special and meaningful. But still, it's not the same as like meeting up with all of my family and like, you know, discussing where I am. Because like, I mean, everybody like hates it when people ask like, what are you majoring in college? But you kind of miss it, you know, you kind of miss it. I mean, because of the pandemic, I've gotten to spend a lot more time with my family. Um, I was there like for the whole summer in 2020 that I wouldn't have been there for otherwise. I was there for like a month and a half um, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So I think it made it a little bit easier to just sort of do my own thing for Thanksgiving this year, considering that I'd seen them for so long and I'm about to go home and see them for like another month. Yeah, this will be the first time that I've seen my family all together in like, you know, a year and a half, like a lot of people, um, which is really exciting, but also very nerve wracking because obviously I'm in a, a position where I'm just around a lot of people every day, whether in classes or in my own home. I have like six roommates, so it's just a lot of people around me. And it, it makes me kind of nervous to like expose something to my family, my parents are both, they both got their boosters because they're immunocompromised. So that's like something reassuring to me, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thankful to have this opportunity. And I think more thankful than I would be without, you know, having had to spend this time away from my family. Um, I can really grow to appreciate like how much they mean to me and how much I miss them. Um, when I'm not able to see them for a year and a half, two years. I used to think of Thanksgiving as like, oh, well, like it's just another holiday. And I think a lot of other people see it as this intermediary holiday between Halloween and Christmas, which are so major in comparison. But I think reflecting on how fall quarter has been, it's a very stressful time for everyone. And because this is my first like real in-person fall quarter and not just through a Zoom screen, I feel that it hits 10 times more because it's just a lot to take in, especially like, even though I'm a sophomore, this is still my first quarter completely in person. And in a way, somehow that makes me miss my family even more. It's definitely given me a more of a reason to be thankful, even though that sounds cheesy, but it de definitely has given me a reason to be more thankful now. forward to the most for Thanksgiving? Any traditions or any specific dishes come to mind? Um, well, I'm not a big fan of turkey. You know, maybe the dark meat's okay, but um, no offense to my parents, they can't really cook very well. <laughs> They're not very good at cooking, so. Um, DoorDash. DoorDash? <laughs> I'm stoked to cook oh my, my own Thanksgiving dinner. That was a big selling point for me because, yeah, I mean, the other times i just gone to friends' houses. So this is the first Thanksgiving, like, I'm gonna prep the turkey, I'm gonna make my stuffing. I get to share like all these Thanksgiving day traditions with my friends, like as far as food and stuff like that. So that's like really exciting to me. And I'm sure, here's the thing, everyone's got their way of doing things. I'm sure there will be some conflicting recipes, but we'll figure it out. It'll be a hodgepodge of like everyone's home cooking. And I think it'll be like a really memorable Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to probably watching the dog show with my grandpa that's like what we do every year and he always points out when his dog comes on tv which I love he's like it's Ryder and I'm like yeah it's Ryder and we like celebrate because it looks like his dog is on tv um also really looking forward to my mom's sweet potatoes she does a great job with that they're so good and yeah I think just those like small moments I'm really excited to have again 
I'm Maria Jimena Aragon for WNUR News. At some point in your Northwestern career, you'll be asked the question, are you a North or South campus person? Known as a defining feature between residential and academic life at Northwestern, the real question is where does that divide truly lie? Reporter Connor Casario has the story. The divide between North Campus and South Campus is often considered as integral a part of Northwestern as Go You Northwestern, which we just heard, or Willie the Wildcat. I remember seeing this in the physical garden when I was looking at schools. It said North Campus is more um, uh, socially active and uh, South Campus is more artsy. That was my fellow first year, Georgia Stave. I am a first year here at Northwestern, and, like Esteve, as I was applying here last year, seemingly everything I read about NU stressed the existential divide between North Campus and South Campus. Now that I am a quarter into living in Allison on South Campus, though I have seen the North-South divide in action, my questions about it have only increased. To try to understand more about how the divide affects students, I spoke with Esteve, who lives up north in Lincoln, and another first year, Shailen Chug, who lives south in Allison. To be honest, I have not been on North Campus that much, but it does seem that the social scene on South Campus isn't much. It's like if you go a little bit more north, like towards like Foster, there seems to be like a little more socialization. A main idea expressed by both Chug and Esteve was one I expected to hear, that people on North Campus are on the whole, more outwardly social than those on South. For Esteve, this perception of more accessible sociability makes North Campus more appealing to him. I like the look of South Campus, especially around the Allison plot. I think that's a really cool vibe. But, I, you know, I do like being on North Campus. I was walking around and seeing people and saying, oh, what, what are you doing tonight? Chug, on the other hand, appreciates that South Campus is quieter and says he has still been able to develop solid social connections while living on South Campus. Some of my friends up north tell me that sometimes like, it gets loud on like Thursday or Friday nights and they can't sleep or something like that. But um, South Campus is nice, it's quieter. I think I've made a lot of friends out here. These two first years are in agreement that while each side of campus has its pros and cons, the main problem is that the physical distance between the two sides hinders the overall cohesiveness of the Northwestern community. Chug described how the distance between North and South prevents him from seeing friends who live up North. And it's kind of surprising, like, that you don't see, like, your North Campus friends that much. That, like, that divide does exist, and that if I have any friends up on North Campus, I have to, like, actually make the effort to go talk to them rather than to just, like, run into them. Esteve agrees, adding that this division seems like an arbitrary byproduct of how Northwestern built the campus over the years. Is it beneficial to have that divide? I think it's just something that sort of happened and people are dealing with it. I mean, it's not really one way or another. In terms of vibe, though, in terms of that separation of social life, I think, I mean, I think it's, it kind of hinders the, 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 the social gathering. 
Interestingly, Chug pointed out that there is also an academic dimension of STEM versus humanities between North and South, and, crucially, that these social and academic divisions may not entirely overlap. That's a really good question, because are the people who like live up North because of the academics the same people who live up North because of the social atmosphere? That's a good question. And I don't think they do overlap 100%, but I think there definitely is some overlap, but I don't think that overlap is necessarily like statistically significant. The apparent border between North Campus and South Campus likely lies somewhere in the space occupied by various academic and non-residential buildings in the middle of campus. Which of these non-residential buildings count as North or South is up for debate. Esteve pointed out the Garrett Evangelical Seminary, a non-Northwestern building, as a possible divider. I would say the Garrett Place, which is a seminary on the west side, that's, that's probably the road, that I'd say, is the dividing line. Chug views the dividing line more in terms of where he, as a South Campus resident, ventures on a typical day. I've always thought of it as Foster, like that road, which seems kind of far south, but at the same time, everything above that seems kind of out of my range of like places I go to regularly. Like I go to Foster to pick up packages or something, um, and then I go to like Jacobs to get tested, and then I usually don't go past that bubble unless I'm going to tech. Like that's kind of the only time I go out of that. So I say, I'd say Foster. So, different students may have different ideas of where exactly North Campus ends and South Campus begins. Ultimately, though, we are one Northwestern community. And, as Esteve and Chug noted, the North-South divide does limit us somewhat from being a united student body. For WNUR News, I'm Connor Casario. Have a wonderful Monday, everyone. Finding a match on campus is tough, so why not let a questionnaire do the work for you? What started out as an undergrad assignment at Stanford now has over 4,000 Northwestern students waiting for an email tonight. Reporter Paz Baum sat down with the director of NU Marriage Pact to learn more. It's the season of love, or at least the season of cuffing, and Northwestern students are ready. The Marriage Pact has taken over campus. The Marriage Pact uses linear algebra, we use a little bit of computer science, um, but all in all, we're just kind of a questionnaire that seeks to be fun and match um, different students up with who, uh, at least an algorithm in relationship psychology says, would be their best match on campus. That was Northwestern junior Annie Tsui, who runs the Northwestern branch of the Marriage Pact. Five years ago, a group of Stanford University students created the pact for a school project. Since then, it has expanded to 64 schools, resulting in almost 94,000 matches. We're seeing around 4,000 students take it this year. We had around 3,000 take it last year. Um, and to be honest, I think the product really does speak for itself. I think um, college students are definitely always looking for kind of something to do outside um, of studying. And, you know, romance is always kind of half on our minds, half not. It's not our main goal. It's just something we'd like to have. So when something like the marriage pack comes out, um, it piques a lot of interest. Um, I think 
um, the product itself, the marriage pack, it, it like it truly is an algorithm based on research. So you know it's quality. It's not just something that's like, oh, who are you most similar to? It's who are you most compatible to? So the marriage pact ensures compatibility, but how do they know that they are asking the right questions? After all, students don't want just another awkward Tinder conversation. So I can't give too much just because um, that's like kind of like our uh, a part of our secret sauce. But um, basically, the questions are based on psychological and sociological research into what's actually important when it comes to predicting the long term success of a relationship. And so each question, like when you break it down to its core, taps into these categories of values that we have found to be essential to be compatible with your partner. Um, so all of these questions have really gone through kind of a lot of review and like all stem um, from research, which I think is really cool. Another way the marriage pact differentiates itself from dating apps is that there are no photos involved. Yanni thinks this is a good idea. At the end of the day, what makes a relationship compatible and truly successful isn't based necessarily um, on uh, on just looks. It's based on a number of different factors. And I think marriage pact kind of... Um, kind of narrows down, I guess, um, narrows down your all your choices and allows you to make the choice for yourself when you finally do get your match and you see them and you see, oh, are we, you know, we know according to this algorithm we're technically compatible, but like when you actually see each other, um, things may change. The one physical component that the marriage pact does consider is race and ethnicity because of their historical significances. Now that we know the details behind the pact, I wanted to get into how it is playing out at Northwestern specifically. Students may have seen the desperate pleas in their email inboxes from the marriage pact to convince their straight and bisexual male friends to fill out the pact. As of Monday, 360 more heterosexual women had filled out the pact than heterosexual or bisexual men. That means that about 360 women will, instead of receiving a romantic match, receive a platonic match from a fellow woman on the waiting list. We always have more heterosexual women take the exam, uh, take the questionnaire um, more so than heterosexual men. Um, these numbers are actually pretty good compared to other schools; are pretty average. Um, and we want to work. We uh, in a perfect world, we would like really try our best, and we have been to try to target um, either hetero or bisexual males to take the pack so these women can get all the matches. Um, but yeah, so that is very common. This is only the second year of the marriage pact at Northwestern but participants at other schools have had more time to develop their relationships. Some participants never reach out to their matches, but others take the pact quite literally. Nationwide, we've actually had one actual marriage, which I think is super cool, and that just speaks to, I think, the algorithm. You know, it takes a lot for a marriage to actually happen, and the fact that we've even had one um, is really cool. The marriage pact might be the future of college dating life, and you might even be lucky enough to be connected with your future spouse. Best of luck to all Northwestern students who received their matches today. For WNUR News, I'm Passbaum. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our brand new website, wnur.news.
Our producer today is Nick Song, and our reporters are Connor Casario and Paz Bomb. From all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here Friday, same time, same place. Now, back to scheduled programming.